I love a good movie, don't you? I mean, who doesn't love a good movie? We all love good movies. And my favorite type of movies are those that kind of have that big twist in the middle, right? They have one of those big twists or that ending that's like, whoa, what in the world happened there? And what's really cool is to go back and watch those movies again and see all the things that lead up to the ending that you know now what's coming, right? Those are my favorite types. And I think the one with the broadest appeal that uh, most of us would get are the Star Wars movies. Star Wars, yeah, okay. Up until, <laughs> up until a few um, years ago, my wife Gwen refused to watch the Star Wars movies because she said, quote, unquote, they look stupid, okay? So um, I, um, I love the Star Wars movies, though, and so I finally got her to watch them. And so I said, okay, you've got to watch four, five, six, and then go back and watch one, two, three. That's how you watch them. And so we go through and you see Darth Vader, right? All the evil guy that he is. And then you get to go back and watch one, two, three and watch this sweet little boy knowing that he's going to eventually be Darth Vader. And so you pick out all the things along the way that leads him to be Darth Vader. You know it's coming the whole time. Now, one, two, and three are horrible movies, but the only redeemable quality of them is to be able to see that, that transformation into Darth Vader. In other words, you pick up on those things all, of, all along that leads to Darth Vader. You pick out those little details. So this morning, I'm tasked with sharing with you probably one of the most complicated passages in the whole Bible, really, Romans chapter 11. It's very complicated. So instead of starting at the beginning of Romans 11, I think everything will make a lot more sense if we just start by focusing on the end. And the end of Romans 11 not only ties up Romans 11 itself, but it actually ties up Romans 1 through 11. It's the, it's the finishing touch on the whole thing. Next week, we're going to start into Romans 12, which is kind of the practical applications of what happens when we get the gospel. When we get Romans 1 to 11, this is what our lives look like. But before we get there, we have the end of Romans chapter 11. And if I had to summarize Romans 1 to 11... It's really hard because it's so deep, but I would do so this way. Listen, the authority of Scripture alone shows us that we are saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. That essentially is what Romans 1 to 11 is all about. And so today we get to the end of that long exposition, and so we arrive at Romans 11, verse 33. It says this, Oh, the depth of of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What a great passage. What a great passage. After delving into the depths of the gospel in Romans 1 to 11, Paul basically, he just stops and he's like, oh, he's out of breath from delving so deeply. And he just worships God in awe. Oh, he takes a step back and just worships God. 
And so I hope over the course of our study in Romans, you haven't treated it as just some educational study. Because even Paul here, he actually wrote it. And Romans 11, the end of it, it reminds us that, listen, the true knowledge of God, delving deeply into the true knowledge of God, it always should lead us to worship, reverence, and awe. The two should always go together. And in his conclusion, he ends with what I believe this is what Romans 1 to 11 is all pointing to. This is, this is kind of the ultimate conclusion of his whole thing in Romans 1 to 11. Everything we've gone over for the past few months, this is how he ends it. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. <laughs> That's how he ends. Paul's basically saying, Everything in God's plan of salvation, everything that I've outlined in the first 11 chapters, everything is so incredibly deep that even after I've explained it all, my best response is just, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has known the mind of the Lord? I'm not, Paul's saying, I'm not claiming to have explained the mind of the Lord. Who has known the mind of the Lord? All I know is, this is what I know, he says, all things work together in order that God alone may receive all glory for all things and expressly in our salvation. I do know that. And I do know that this morning, that all things are working together for the glory of God. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Sole Deo Gloria. To God be the glory alone. There's so much depth in Romans 1 to 11. But here's the bottom line. We are justified by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, so that God alone may receive all of the glory for our salvation. That's what it all points to. And other verses note this too. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast, so that God alone may receive all of the glory. All of it. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Look, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Listen to this quote. Simply put, simply put, the fact that salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone, without any meritorious contribution on our part, it ensures that all glory is God's and not our own. All things work together that God may receive all of the glory. Over 500 years ago now, perhaps the greatest event in church history, we call it the Reformation. And out of the Reformation came these five statements that I've been referencing. We call them the five solas. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and the glory of God alone. Now, what made those five solas so transformative to the church was not the words, Scripture, grace, faith, Christ, or glory. The church kind of understood what those words were. But they were adding on to them. 
And so the Reformation was all about that word alone. When you put alone on any of those words, that is what truly changed and reformed the church. Alone, that's it, nothing else. And then years later, another phrase came out of the Reformation called semper reformata. It means always reforming, always reforming. Basically, the idea behind it was, okay, we've got the church back to teaching the Bible. We've got it back to where it should be. We're satisfied that. But now the great need and great work is to lead people in the true religion of the heart, of the heart. The part of religion that always needs reforming is the human heart, the human heart. Over 500 years ago, the word alone in those five statements that reformed the church. And now today, the word alone in our hearts is the thing that calls for constant reformation. No, alone, 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 alone. Just a few weeks ago, I talked to you about our self-righteousness. Well, here's the reality. We're all self-righteous because we don't always see the magnitude and depth of what it means to be saved by grace alone. By grace alone, do we understand what it means? No, there is nothing that I've done to merit any favor by God, no righteousness of my own, none. When we struggle with that, we get self-righteous. No, there's nothing, no favor, nothing, nothing. You've done nothing to merit any favor by God. When we fight that, that's when we become self-righteous. And I don't know about you, but my heart needs constant Reformation to be reminded of that, that I've been saved by grace alone, alone. It's the word alone that's truly life-changing. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Paul wraps up Romans 1 to 11 with just this phrase, to him be glory forever, amen. To him be glory forever. How simple, but yet how profound. To God be the glory alone. Many theologians will note that the glory of God alone is the glue of all the solas. This is what they all point to. Look up on the screen here. On the left, I show you the five solas with the glory of God alone at the bottom. And if you think about it, the other four solas before the glory of God alone are there to ensure ultimately that God may receive the glory alone. That's what they all point to, right? In other words, look, if it's not by grace alone that we're saved, then God doesn't get all the glory alone. If it's not by faith alone that we're saved, if we add on to it with our works, then, the glory of, then it's not the glory of God alone. And so look at the right side of the screen now. These are the things that we struggle with. These are the things that we resist in making those four or five statements mean alone. We struggle with scripture alone because we don't like being under authority, do we? I mean, we really don't like it. But Scripture alone tells us, no, no, no. Scripture is our only authority. We struggle with grace alone because we can be real self-righteous, can't we? I already explained that one. How about faith alone? We like our works-based salvation. Look what I did, God. Faith alone. And then Christ alone. We struggle with idolatry, don't we? We put our hope in all these false saviors out there. I'm going to put my hope in this and this. No, no. Christ alone, Christ alone. And so out of the, all the solas, I believe the alone in the glory of God alone is the one that we struggled with the most. 
And look at that. Why do we resist being under authority? Because we're me-centered rather than God-centered, rather than giving God the glory alone. Why do we struggle with self-righteousness? Because we're me-centered. Why do we like our works-based salvation? We're me-centered. Why do we like some idolatry in our lives? Because we're me-centered. Giving God the glory alone is at the heart of every struggle and sin that we face. It all comes down to this, glory of God alone, God-centered, or me-centered. Think about the sins that we struggle with. It all comes down to this, right? We struggle with gossip, or being me-centered. Pornography, me-centered. Legalistic, me-centered. Money trouble, me-centered. Marriage trouble, me-centered. Not respecting our parents, me-centered. Put any sin in there, and it all comes down to this. It's either God-centered or the glory of God alone, or me-centered. And every struggle and every sin that we face, this is what it comes down to right here. I mean, talk about delving deep into our sin. You know, sometimes we like to talk about, you know, all these surface-level things, and that's, that's good and dandy. But at the bottom of it all, if you're still being me-centered, it doesn't matter. Because that is at the very core of our struggle and sin. We're being me-centered. Anything. Look at the temptation all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. When mankind fell into sin. Look at this. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And look, you will be like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the temptation. This is at the very core of our hearts. We can be so me-centered, can't we? Me-centeredness. If we're honest with ourselves, you know, our, our lives often reflect the alternative versions of some of the songs we sing even here in church. Okay, so check this one out.
<laughs> I mean, that's kind of a funny way to put it. But in reality, look, it all comes down to that, really. I exalt me versus I exalt thee. Think of all the dis- uh, implications of that simple distinction. And if you haven't seen your me-centeredness yet, I, I, want, I think we have to see it first. So we have to see our me-centeredness. If you don't see your me-centeredness, ask yourself this question. Do you often care more about yourself than anyone else? I mean, I know I do. Do you often care more about yourself than your church? You know, the words in Jesus in summarizing the law strike quite a chord with us. They should. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, hey, I know you're really, really good at loving yourself. And so if you just love other people like that, that's what I'm calling you to. And it's really hard, isn't it? Because we love ourselves a whole lot. A whole lot. Listen to this verse from Acts chapter 20. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What? Did you see that? I consider my life worth nothing. He goes pretty far there. (laughs) I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race. You know, our me-centeredness, it's the very tragedy of the fall in our sin. It's a tragedy. It's the tragedy of all humankind because it cuts to the very core of our identity as human beings and what we were actually created to do. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, it starts with this question. What is the chief end of man? What is it all about? What are we all about? What's the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man, it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know what that shows us? We were actually created to glorify God alone. That's how we were created. We were actually created to point away from ourselves not to ourselves. When we do that, we're in direct rebellion to what we were created to do. And the fall, sin, we, we messed that all up. We were created to glorify God. And so listen, that is the only place where we find true satisfaction, joy, and fulfillment in life. That's it. Only when we're glorifying God. It's through glorifying God and and pointing away from ourselves, not to ourselves. That is when we find true joy. That's when we find true joy. 
We miss true joy when we live for our glory instead of God's glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The two go together. The two go together. But now we've come to the biggest question of all. How? How? How do I overcome this deepest issue of all, being me-centered? How may I experience this full joy that you're telling me that I can experience if we glorify God? How can I actually sing the words to those songs? How can we sing, I surrender all, I exalt thee, and mean it? How could I consider my life worth nothing? My only aim being to finish the race and testify to the good news of God's grace. How can I truly live a life to the glory of God alone? How? Well, listen, here's the first reality that we have to come to understand first. Our hearts in our sin, they're so dead and me-centered that we need a whole new heart. We need a whole new heart. We don't need some level of improvement or whatever. We need a whole new heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We need a new heart, not an improved one, a new heart. And here's the good news. That is what God does for us. That is what God does for us. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I, 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 I will do it. I will do it. A deceitful, sick, completely me-centered heart. It doesn't even get to the glory of God alone. It doesn't get it at all. It's completely me-centered. And it can only get it, as Romans 1 to 11 tells us, listen, it can only get it by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we get it. Through understanding the first 11 chapters of Romans, our me-centeredness, it begins to melt away. When we come to understand how we are saved. When we come to understand what God has truly done for us, that he's given us a new heart, and it's from him alone. It's from him alone. When we understand that our me-centeredness, it begins to melt away. It begins to melt away. And as we see this, because this happens our eyes are then drawn away from the glory of ourselves and drawn to the glory of God. Drawn to the glory of God. And listen, here is what we see. This is so cool. Here is what we see. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him he also created the world. Look at this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When we understand what salvation is, when we understand Romans 1 to 11, 
our eyes are drawn away from our own glory to the glory of God in Jesus. In Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And through Jesus, our me-centeredness is broken, shook, and undone when we behold the glory of God through him. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Look at this quote from Martin Luther. It is not sufficient for anyone, and it does him no good to recognize God in his glory and majesty unless he recognizes him in the humility and shame of the cross. Did you catch that? It does him no good to recognize God in his glory and majesty unless he recognizes him in the humility and shame of the cross. Jesus is the object of God's glory. When we behold the cross, listen, when we behold the cross, we're reminded that Jesus didn't come to give us some me-centered self-improvement class. He didn't come to do that. He didn't come to give us some little cute three-word phrases to live by, some little words of advice. He gave us the word of life itself. He was the word of life and he came. He didn't come to give us some advice on how we can improve our lives. He came to crucify our sin and bring the dead to life. He didn't come to make us some improved version of ourselves. He came to make us new. He came to make us new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, it has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here's the reality. When we have a small view of what Jesus came to accomplish and did accomplish on the cross, when we have a small view of that, that's when we get me-centered. Because we don't behold the glory of God through Jesus. When we have a small view of what Jesus came to accomplish and did accomplish on the cross, we have an increasingly me-centered view of our selves. That's when we get into me-centered self-righteousness, me-centered self-justification, me-centered idolatry, me-centered self-improvement. But listen, when we just behold the glory of God by beholding what Jesus accomplished on the cross, what he's accomplished for us, when we behold nothing but Jesus this becomes our response. All the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When we behold what Jesus has done on the cross for us, our response is to the glory of God alone. Nothing in me. To the glory of God alone. So that's it. What are you saying? What does that mean? No more me-centeredness in my life. My life's going to be a breeze. No more mistakes. What are you saying? What do you mean? 
Well, although, yes, I believe we do grow in our ability to glorify God throughout our lives, although we may continue to learn and see what Jesus did accomplish on the cross, although we, although we grow in that understanding, we still struggle with me-centeredness, don't we? I mean, I know I, know I do. I can stand here and tell you about beholding Jesus, and I believe it with all my heart, and yet, I'm still me-centered so many times. So many times. So what does that mean? We sound a lot like Paul in, in Romans chapter 7. Listen, he says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The reality is, listen, the remaining presence of sin in our lives, it does keep us from shining forth the glory of God in full. It does. We fight against that sin. But listen, here's the hope that we have. And the more we get this, the more we get this hope, the more the things of the earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The more we get this, the more that happens. Look at the hope we have. Look at this verse. We all... With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. That's Jesus. That's seeing the cross. That's knowing what he's accomplished. That's knowing how we've been saved. When we understand this, we all, with unveiled face, when we behold the glory of God in Jesus, look, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. As we behold the glory of the Lord, as we look upon the glory of God in Jesus, as we grow in nothing but Jesus, what happens? We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another after the same image. What does that mean? The same image? What does that mean? Look at this verse from earlier in Romans. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, what? To the image of his son. To the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many believers. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, to another into the same image of his son into Jesus. Listen to this. We see God mirrored in Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. And as we gaze, our face unveiled on that mirror, a change comes over us. The image of the old evil Adam nature becomes less distinct. And the image of the new man, after the likeness of Christ, it takes its place. And man in his measure and degree becomes as he was meant to be at creation like Christ the image of the invisible God we are being changed we are being transformed not into some better version of ourselves but we are being transformed into the same image of Jesus even our best efforts at being good people they aren't aimed at being more like Christ listen there's nowhere deep and downside of us to pull out perfection or holiness 
that matches that of Christ's. There's nothing inside of us that could ever match his glory and perfection. And so that's why at Reach Church, we preach nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. We don't give you some self-help improvement phrases to give, make you better versions of yourself. We don't give you those. Who cares? We give you Jesus. So you may be transformed into the image of him. What could ever be better than that? There's nothing better than that. There's no little advice. There's no little phrase. There's no five-step process that I could give you that's better than becoming more like Jesus. Like Jesus. Here's what happens. God starts with a dead, me-centered heart that wants nothing to do with him. And he alone gives us a new heart by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, and then he transforms us from one degree of glory into another, into another, into another, after the image of his son. And yes, we still do struggle with self-righteousness and me-centeredness even as we are being transformed. But if this isn't all crazy enough, here's how this whole thing ends. On that great day, here's what happens. God will glorify us. God will glorify us, removing even the presence of sin from our bodies. And God will bring us back to a full state of glorification so that we may all, with praise in our hearts, say, to the glory of God alone for what he's done. Amen? To the glory of God alone for what he's done. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. Because, look, we shall see him. We shall behold his glory in full. We shall see him as he is. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Nothing, nothing but Jesus. And on that day, the song of our hearts will reflect the fullness of these words. We are crowned in glory to glory, as worthy as the Lord of all the glory forever. Holy is the Lord. To God be the glory alone for what he has done. Amen. So let's stand now and let's declare that. Let's sing out. Because Jesus has redeemed us, he has saved us. And so now we in fullness may sing in reflective of that day. We are crowned in glory to glory forever. Holy is the Lord, worthy of all of our praise and glory. Amen.